This is Leaving Laodicea with Steve McCraney, and this is a podcast for those who realize that apathetic, lukewarm, flannel graph faith just isn't going to cut it in the chaos that surrounds us today. We need something more, something different. So join us as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. Then we talked about being a faith prepper and what that's all about. Being a prepper is someone, of course, who sacrifices for today to be able to help his family and others for tomorrow. What sacrifices can we make today to make life better spiritually for our family, for our spouse, for our children, for our friends and neighbors, for our lost loved ones? And we talked about the key to that, of course, deals with prayer. We looked at this verse. This is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. It says, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. He sees the same evil that the simple man does, and yet he takes some sort of action, but the simple passed on and are punished. Or as other translations say, they pass on and pay the penalty. And the question we asked are, who are we? I mean, what, what kind of people are we? Are we the kind of people that see the signs of the times and are going to do something about it spiritually? Are we the kind of people that say, hey, it doesn't matter because my focus is not on the spiritual kingdom. My focus is on the money that I make or paying my house off or the vacations I take or, or stuff of that nature. Do I let the world cloud out my time with him? We talked about praying before everything. And for the last 21 days, we as a congregation, or should I say, we as individuals, have had an opportunity to go through a 21-day praying of God's Word adventure. I encouraged us all to do that. I told you that if you want to go through the book of Ephesians, that I will send emails out every day so we can all be praying the, the same thing. And and if you choose to pray through something else, another passage of Scripture, that's perfectly fine. But we wanted to commit ourselves to praying for 21 days. I have privately asked a number of people how that went. And some people haven't done it at all. That's, that's on them. Um, some people, most people, had done it most of the time. In other words, we started out really well, and I missed a couple days, and I tried to catch those days up. And, and so their prayer life, or the time they spend in prayer, has been improved because of this. But, and again, I may be wrong here, but most of the people that I've, I've talked to privately about this haven't done it the entire time. And, and that's fine. That's fine. We're, we're, we're moving towards being a faith prepper. We're moving towards trying to, to make a practice out of this. And, and so I... Uh, I, I want to remind you what this 21-day challenge was all about. There were three key considerations that we made. Key. Number one, most important, there's a direct connection between the degree that our minds are shaped by Scripture and the degree which our prayers are answered. We all want our prayers answered, but our minds have to be shaped by Scripture in order for that to happen. And we talked about John 15, 7. Which says, if you abide in me and your mind and your life is shaped by the word, by scripture, and my words abide in you, and then this amazing promise, ask whatever you desire and it'll be done for you, because obviously what you're asking for is my will, the Lord says, because your word, my word is abiding in you and you are resting and abiding in me. Number two. 
God only answers prayers, listen very carefully, and petitions that his son had some part in making. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at what gets passed off as Christianity today. You know, that I, I can ask for anything. I, you know, I'll even misquote this, this passage. So if I get two people to agree with me, how about you two? I mean, we'll agree together. And so I'll pray that I can fly and you pray that, you know, you guys will have $10 million and God has to do it because we've agreed together by misquoting that passage. And Matthew, it doesn't mean that at all. And the amazing thing about this is the Lord Jesus has to be part of our prayers. We have to pray according to his will, according to the kingdom. We find that in 1 John chapter 5. Now, here's the confidence that we have in him. This is surety that I have in him, that if we ask anything that I want, anything that pleases me, anything that's natural in this Laodicean church age that we live, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that he gives us anything that we want because we're that important to him. No. It's ask according to his will. And if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, that he grants our request. The rhetorical question here, the scary thing is, is that if we ask something contrary to his will, does he hear us? Or is it just white noise? Is it just that sound that that we ignore all the time. And number three, the early church prayed Scripture, and so should we. And praying Scripture means this. It means to read God's words in a spirit of prayer and let the meaning of the verses become our prayer and inspire our thoughts. And so what we did is we took the book of Ephesians and we went through 21 days trying to pray together and to see what this is like. Now, at the end of our time together, I'm going to ask you this question, and I would love to hear, um, I would love to hear how it's gone for you, how this time has changed your life. And for those of you that it has, you'll be excited to share. But one of the things we need to realize is how much doctrine have we learned during this time of prayer? I mean, it's one thing to lay on the floor and just pray with, you know, nothing focusing our prayer or to, or to do like some of the false religions do and you know, like transcendental meditation where I clear my mind out and, you know, and just try to invite spirits in and stuff like that. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing to have our prayers actually focused by the word of God to let his word abide in us. So how much doctrine have we learned? How much truth have we learned when we've gone through that? Now, this is pretty amazing because I've only taken the first 14 verses. Well, that's not really true. I've primarily the first 14 verses, but we'll look at the entire first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And if you've gone through this and prayed through this, I want you to look at the doctrines that have been covered by what you have prayed. God's calling. Not only his effectual calling, but his personal calling for you and what he plans for you to do in your life. Your faithfulness as compared to God's faithfulness. The whole idea of what grace and peace are all about. The, the idea that, that God is so wonderful that we can actually spend time blessing and praising him. That we are literally complete in him, like Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says. That this whole idea of being in Christ over and over again in the first and second chapter, we see this in Christ. It's, it's, it's kind of shocking. In him, in Christ. And, and all that means sovereign election. 
that God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. The idea of sanctification, these great theological truths that he's called me for a holy purpose, that he's chosen me from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Identification, that I am now identified with Christ. I am in Christ, and Christ now lives in me. The whole idea of predestination, that God has planned something and preordained something before for me, not only my salvation, but also the works that I'm to do. The idea that I have been adopted into his family. I mean, these are, we could spend several times together just dealing with any single one of these to understand what the scripture teaches about that. And then we deal with this whole sovereignty of God. Over and over we see in there, according to the good intention and kind pleasure of his will. Or he purposed in himself to do this because God is sovereign. This understanding of grace and our acceptance of him with all our sins and our failures in the beloved, that he redeemed us on the and you've heard this before, the old Baptist preacher talking about being on the slave market of sin. It's true. It's like Hosea and Gomer. He redeemed us by his own blood through the substitutionary atonement of Christ. All this is covered in just chapter 1. What it means to have your sins forgiven. What it means to receive grace in abundance, or as it talks about here, the riches of his grace what is the wisdom and the prudence, the, the wise decisions of God and why he chose to do what he decided to do in our lives? Reconciliation, where he's reconciled us to God and us to each other and Jew to Gentile. So there's no longer Jew and Gentile, but there's now one new entity called the church. He talks about that. He talks about eternal security. He talks about that we're sealed in him, which, which, exemplifies what Jesus said, that no one can snatch them out of my hand. He introduces this Holy Spirit, who's the one who confirms our salvation, who seals us and serves as our guarantee of our future inheritance to come. And then from verse 15, shows us how to pray and shows us more importantly what we need to be praying for. He explains what it's like to have a revelation of God and have the knowledge of God and what's this effectual calling all about when he chose us in him. He explains what eternal life is going to be, or as theologians call it, the final state. Talks about his resurrection, talks about his ascension, talks about Dudamas power that rests in us, and then uses a second word in the same verse that deals with royal dominion. That's chapter 1. Chapter 1. And those aren't just side issues. A lot of these are cornerstone theological truths that can change our life if we grasp on them. And it's laid out in front of us. And what we chose to do, hopefully, is to pray through each of these over the last 21 days and ask the Lord to reveal them to us. The problem is, most of us don't really know how to pray through God's word. 
I mean, you can read books about that, and it kind of tells you to take a verse and ruminate on the verse for a while and, and let the verse kind of speak to you, and, and okay. And, and again, I've sent out some emails and just highlighted just a few points that maybe we could focus on, trying to turn those into prayer. And Karen had something um, that I guess it was a ladies' Bible study, the community Bible study, that talked about praying God's word. And it was actually God's word, just a whole scripture prayer that, that led to, uh, to some conclusion. And, but it's a little different than that. And what I want to do, really for the rest of our time together, is I want us to, to just pray through some of these truths. And all I know, I, I, I prayed about that. I, as I asked the Lord, how am I supposed to do this? Because, you know, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I just know how I prayed. And, and so I'm going to pray through some of these. And I'm going to show you how I prayed and what I prayed, even what I prayed about these very things last night. And, and I'm hoping that when we reach to a point that while I'm praying and putting my name in here, that you'll be praying and putting your name in there. And that we'll, we'll be able just to get a glimpse of, of how incredible this is. Because again, having prayer as the focus of your Christian life is what we're trying to do at this point in time is much harder than having Bible study the focus of our life. Bible study is intellectual. Bible study is factual. Prayer is personal. Prayer is different. Prayer is, prayer is like instead of reading a letter from my wife, I'm sitting across from her face to face, and I'm reading her expressions, and she's reading mine. And what is kind of missed in the letter, like an inflection of a voice or something of that nature that we'll put in all caps or bold or some of that nature, is, is always caught in a conversation that you're having face to face. You know, the, our, the generations today don't really enjoy face-to-face conversation too much. What we rather do is text somebody, which is communicating information, but it's not communicating passion behind that information. Or we send emails out, which is more uh, our generation. And, you know, or, or maybe talk on the phone. Of course, younger people don't even like talking on the phone anymore. Have you noticed? I don't know why that is. But even on the phone, you, you, you miss it all. But when you sit down with someone and you've got a face-to-face conversation with them and you're sharing something and they're sharing back with you, what's not picked up in a text is an expression like this. <sighs> well, that communicated a huge message, did it not? It wouldn't show up. And then I would immediately respond to that if we were having a conversation. Prayer is the same way. It's an intimacy with him where you talk and he talks. And then you, sometimes you stop and you just you marvel and wonder. And what these words really say. Is this truly what we're talking about here? And one of the reasons why I chose Ephesians versus Romans is the fact that, especially the first couple chapters of Ephesians, it talks about you. It talks about me, who we are in Christ. Not what the world beats us down to make us think we are, but who we are, how we're seen by him. I want to show you how important this is. This came to me this morning. You know, I, I belong to, uh, to prayer networks and stuff of that nature, and sometimes they send out prayer requests and, and prayer encouragement and things like that, and, and I usually don't read a lot of them. But this one came today, and I, it's almost ordained because it fits perfectly in what we've been talking about. I want to read it to you. It says, throughout church history, the greatest revivals had typically followed periods of spiritual darkness. 
Would you say we're in a state of spiritual darkness now? During those periods, small groups of people, small groups, it's never the large masses, but it's small groups of people desperately desired spiritual awakening. Desperately. Prayer was viewed as a necessity for that and not an option. We must realize the necessity of prayer as well. There must be an outpouring of men's and women's heart to God before there will be an outpouring of God's spirit upon men and women. There must be a revival of praying before there can be a reaping of the harvest. I challenge you to look at church history. I challenge you to to get books on the great first and second great awakening and revivals that have taken place, and every one of them are predicated by this intense desire for prayer from a small group of people. Two principles lead us to our first step towards revival. First, we must realize the desperateness of our situation. Much of the church today is backslidden. We have become subnormal in our Christian experience. We've developed a Christianity of convenience and comfort rather than character and commitment. We must recognize our need if there is to be hope for this generation. Vic shared with you last week that one of the things they talked about at the conference that he went to is that it's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. We just have to learn how to navigate successfully as believers in Christ as light in ever-increasing darkness through the world in which we live. I mean, if you think all of a sudden that the world's going to turn around and things are going to get better right before Christ comes, you're not reading the Scriptures. There's a great apostasy that has to take place. There has to be believers in Christ or or professed believers in Christ that abandon the faith. I see this on Facebook and some of the periodicals that I subscribe to every single week. Second, and finally, we must understand that our only hope is in God. We must thirst, thirst for communion with Jesus a thirst that will drive us to action. And action happens to be not necessarily doing something, but dropping to our knees in prayer. We will then begin to obey God through the outpouring of our hearts to him. Those attitudes expressed through prayer will release the power of God upon our lives, our churches, and our communities. We will see revival in this generation only, only as we begin to pray. I would say amen to everything there. Part of our problem is the fact that we're shy and we're insecure and we don't know how to do this and we feel kind of uncomfortable and that it's all laid out for us. All. I'm just going to take the first couple verses of Ephesians and I just want to just highlight a few things in your prayer life that you could be praying about. And then when we get to verse number three, I'd like us to pray together. Paul. Paul. Well, Lord, I'm not Paul. No, but you're Steve. You gave Paul a job. You've given Steve a job. Giving you a job. I mean, I think about how Paul was saved, how he was radically changed from from darkness to light. I, I, I remember how committed he was to stamping out this heretical sect of Christianity. I remember how committed he was to the destruction of believers, people like me right now, and how God and his sovereignty, supernatural, met him on a Damascus road. Do you remember? Paul. 
Paul's writing this letter, Paul who bears on his body the brand marks of Christ. And as you, if you just focus on Paul and begin looking at your own life, all of a sudden you find that your, your prayers are lifting up to him, talking about God, well, what is your will for me? Do you even have a will for me? What is my position in the church? Well, Paul was an apostle, a called out one. What am I? I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a grandfather. I'm a friend. What are you? I'm a child. I'm a, I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. You know, he's called us each to do that. We get focused on titles, pastor, evangelist, missionary, teacher. It's not what we're talking about here. Paul was an apostle, a sent one, and so are you. He gave you a job to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And so as you begin your prayers, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you have a will for my life? Just Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by God's sovereign action. If you had a will for his life, certainly you have a will to my life. And what is that will? What do you want me to do? Lord, what's your desire for my life? What, 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 what do I know concretely is your will? And that doesn't necessarily mean where I go to college, who I marry, where I live, what job do I have. That's focusing on as we do, the, the horizontal. But what is your will vertical? It's really simple. Just like the church there, to be a saint. The word saint means a holy one. So I'm praying, Lord, I'm looking at my life here. Am I really holy? Did, and, and, and if I am holy, I mean, what does that mean? Where do I go? What am I supposed to do? Well, here there were saints in Ephesus. I don't live in Ephesus. No, I live in Gastonia. I live on this road surrounded by these neighbors and I work at this place and I have these friends. And all of a sudden you begin realizing the locality of what Paul was, was talking about in Ephesus to the saints in Ephesus that we have a locality too. As a mother, you have your children. As a father, you have your family. Do you husbands lead your family in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Do you support your wife as, as she tries to, to do what's necessary to, to raise the kids? Or are you more provider, just physical provider uh, focused than spiritual focused? As a faith prepper, it can't always be that way. Because things are going to change. Well, Lord, I'm how do I change? What, what, what do I need to, to do? Well, how about just being faithful in Christ Jesus? Why don't we start there? Being faithful to the word he's already revealed to me. Be faithful to the commands that he's already commanded me. Be faithful to the truth that I already know. Because I don't know all the truth, but I know the truth is revealed to me. And if I'm faithful with that, the scripture teaches a promise that he will provide more to me. If I'm faithful with the talents that he gives me, that he will reward me and give me more. How? How? What he spoke to me about, she took me back to the book of Revelation, to the letter to the church at Ephesus. We're in Ephesians now, back to Ephesus. And it was the, it was the letter that said, you're doing all these things well. You're faithful and you haven't given in and you stand firm for the truth and you test those who, who claim to be apostles and find out that they're not but. 
I have this thing against you. Remember what it is? You have left your first love. Serving and ministering became more important doing than abiding and resting. It's not what you do for me. It's how you lean on me and surrender to me and trust me. The admonition was to go back, if you read that passage in Revelation, and do the things you did in the beginning. And what were those? Become absolutely mesmerized with God's grace, with his grace. Do you realize who you were? Do you realize what I've done for you? Do you realize that you didn't deserve any of it? That there's no element of pride involved here at all? That it was you, like the Apostle Paul, who deserved nothing but condemnation, but because of my grace, my mercy, that you received the infinite gift. Do you remember, Steve, when you first got saved? I do. Overwhelmed with grace. You know, I'm convicted by Kanye West. I mean, here is this crazy guy, you know, who's, who is as arrogant as they come, who makes a profession of Christ, and every time he's interviewed, every time you talk to him, every time somebody sticks a microphone in front of his face, what does he talk about? Jesus. Jesus. Not about his businesses, not about how famous he was, not about the fact he's a billionaire, not about all his clothes, not about his wife and all that kind of stuff, but Jesus. And then he starts making tough decisions in his life. Miss Kardashian, you can't dress like that anymore. That's, that's, that's immoral. That's one I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. If you work for me, you can no longer have premarital sex. Rule, he just laid out for his employers. And then when, when the old flesh kicks in, when he uses a, a, prof, a profane word when he's talking because he got carried away on the Jimmy Kimmel show, he stopped and goes, hey, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I apologize. Uh, I, I'm still growing. My, 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 uh, my points as a Christian are decreased right now. I mean, how often do you do that? How often do I do that? How many conversations do we have with other people and try not to bring Jesus into it? Because we want to build that relationship. Isn't that amazing? My fear is that 10 years from now, Kanye West will be just like us. Isn't that sad? You're enamored with grace. So you spend some time praying and thanking him for that. And what happens when you realize how wondrous his grace is, you experience peace. world is in terrible situation. Maybe my life is in shambles. Maybe I'm experiencing the consequences of my own sins. Maybe I have people that hate me. Maybe I'm about to lose my job. Maybe my family's turned against me. Maybe all those things have happened, but I am in in a right relationship with you, God, and I have peace. And you thank him for that because that peace came from your father. It was the whole idea of being a father that kept me away from Christ and then brought me to him. Because I kept paralleling God the Father with my father, this narcissistic, lying, can't really trust him, always going to let you down, has his own agenda kind of guy. 
And if God is, if I'm supposed to view God as my father, I can never trust him. I can never let my guard down. I always have to have a contingency plan. I always have to work it out on my own because that's how my father was until I became a father. And then everything changed. I know I've shared this with you so many times. You know, put Krista to bed at night. She's put her in her little crib, and I would sing songs to her at night. And it seems like every song that came out of my mouth was, I will not be like my dad. I will always love you, and I will always trust you, and I will never lie to you. Never lie to you. And I realized that if I could love someone as I loved Krista, that maybe, maybe, maybe God is a little more like that relationship than he is like my dad. And so I just thanked him for the kind of father he is. And then I looked at my own life and and asked him to show me how to be a better father and show me how to be a better grandfather and show me how to be able to love people like he loves them. And we're just going through the book of Ephesians. And then the hard one. Well, it's more than just a father, because also my Lord, he's my curios. He's the one that calls all the shots, everything. Recently, I've been watching some um, movies and television shows and stuff that take place back during the King of England rule or um, back in the feudal system where you had the king and then everybody else. and Can't really relate to that in America because we're in charge in our form of government, and our, at least we think we are in our form of government and all that kind of stuff. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm getting this different view here where you have this king who has everything and everybody serves the king. And if he's a good king, then the people rejoice. Gosh, it sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? But if he's a bad king, then he oppresses the people and everybody moans. And we have a king, a king who has defeated all his adversaries, a king who defeated Satan, death, and hell. And he knows my name, and he knows your name. And we can have bold access to the king as a son, as an heir, as a joint heir. Now, that doesn't change your prayer life and your focus on things. I don't know what does. So when you're praying God's word, just do it this way. There's no rush. You just go through and and begin to look at these things. God, you are blessed. Blessed more than anything. I mean, you're, you're beyond comprehension. Sat back and I tried to think, you know, I mean, sometimes... Sometimes it's hard for me to get my mind around it, but um, <laughs> I mean, we're just a, a planet surrounded by a star, and it's so big that we can't even imagine, and we're just one of so many solar systems and these galaxies, and there's a million billion galaxies, and, and God has all of that, and, and he's good, and he's glorious. And he knows who we are and takes an intimate involvement in our life so much so that the most precious thing in all of the universe, his son, died for me and for you. And all he asks is our allegiance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And here's one of those passages that I could not really get past. Who has past tense. Blessed are you, God, who has past tense blessed us, blessed me, with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Doesn't mean some, doesn't mean the most, doesn't mean the cream of the crop, but with every spiritual blessing. In the eternal, not here where everything passes away and has a beginning and an end and an expiration date, but every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in the eternal, in the reality that that really is, And you've done all of that in your son. Who, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, became for us wisdom from God and justification and sanctification and redemption. I mean, how is that possible? How is that possible? I remember when I was praying this, that I, um, I, um, I kept, I kept going over that word in my mind over and over again. You know, Lord, thank you for blessing me with every, every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? Every, everything that Christ was, everything that Christ reveals, everything that's embodied in the Holy Spirit, everything that proceeds from the Godhead, every spiritual blessing that you have blessed, no merit of my own because of your grace, you have blessed me with, not just here while I'm alive, but in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. So I kept getting these flashbacks to Facing the Giants. My favorite movie. You know that. I've watched it 65 times. Because God speaks to me so much during the movie. I got these flashbacks to the end of the game. And the coach is in the locker room. And, and he walks around all the players. And he says, you're a 145-pound second-rate kicker. And I just saw you kicked a 65-year-old, 65-yard field goal. Tell me what's impossible with God. Nothing. Build a stone wall there, Brock, didn't you? And it held. Tell me what's impossible with God. Nothing. 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 What's impossible with you? And what's impossible with me? Because I'm asking the Lord, what's what? Nothing. Because I have been, past tense, blessed with every spiritual blessing because I am in Christ, because I belong to him. And you just rest on that a while. And if you're not spending time in prayer with him in the morning because you're too busy, you're missing the best part of the day. And you just rest in him. Blessed be the Lord, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Really? 
My life's going pretty bad right now. I'm, I'm married to a woman that's irritating me. My kids are just off the charts. I'm losing my job. I've got these health problems. I'm, I'm, I'm all focused about me right now. So yeah, t- give me one. Tell me a blessing that you gave me. Well, how about this one? That he chose you. Just as, adding to these blessings, he chose you in Christ, in him, in himself. Well, why? Because I earned it? Because I deserved it? Because I'm something special? Because I'm better than others? No. But he chose you in him before the foundation of the world, before you even thought about him, before you were even created, before you you breathed your first breath. God, because of his grace, reached out and blessed you and blessed me with every spiritual blessing and said, I want that person, Steve, and I want Debbie, and I want Tim to live with me forever. Jesus said that I earnestly desire to to have this last supper with you, this communion with you before I suffer, and I'm going up to heaven to prepare a place for you, and I'm earnestly excited about receiving you unto myself that where I am and all that glory... You will be there with me. Do you remember? I know, but I just don't feel like praying. I just don't have time to pray because I'm overwhelmed with my problems. What problems can we have when we're faced with this? We have a king. (laughs) We have a king who we have an audience with. King, I have a burden that is too great for me to bear. What do I do? I'll take that burden. Boom. And I'll bless you with that. But Lord, you don't understand my life. You don't understand how messed up it is. You don't understand how many times I've failed. You don't understand the thoughts that go on in my mind. And I want to do what's right, but I don't. And the things that I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. Like Paul said, who will deliver me from this wretchedness of the sin in my life? Do you remember? You've chosen me for What? That we should be holy. Now listen. Here's where you get confused. It says holy and we're without blame before him. That's our position before him. He sees us as holy. And I struggle with living up to that standard, don't you? But he sees us as holy and without blame. So much so, the book of Jude says that he presents us to himself faultless. I've been blessed with having my sins redeemed. I've been blessed by having all that, the weight taken away. I've been blessed by all of that. And he has chosen me to be holy and without blame, completely clean before him in agape. In love. Back to the facing the giant scene if I was sitting in that locker room at that time. Tell me, Steve, who's ever loved you like that? No one, coach. No one but Jesus. Who's ever forgiven your sins and, and counted them all as, as, as wiped away and gone? Who, so who sees you just the best in you, that you're holy and blameless and without sin because of the price of his son? Does anybody else see you that way but my son? No, coach. It's just Jesus. It is just 
Jesus. I don't know, I don't know, again, I don't know how your prayer time was with him. But if you will just, and this all doesn't happen in a day. This is like, if you'll just take some time and, and look at these truths that are in here and, and just meditate on them and, and relax and abide and rest, your spiritual life will grow like you can't believe. That's why God ordained a prayer. Disciples never said, Jesus, teach us how to preach or teach or do miracles. He said, teach us how to pray. Do you remember? So why, Lord? Just do one more of these. Why? Well, because he implied here, having predestined us. Past tense. It's not something he's going to do. It's something he's already done. The Jesus of the Father loved us so much, even with all my sins and frailties and all the times that I failed him, that he preordained an outcome. Predestined means that, that I've already determined how this is going to turn out. This isn't based on the actions of Steve. This is based on my preordained will. That he predestined us not to be servants or lieutenants in his army or, or corporate CEOs in his company, but he predestined us to adoption as sons, as sons. You know, it's, it's one thing to, you know, it's, it's one thing from the Lord to come up to somebody and say, you know what, uh, let this man go. I've forgiven all his sins. I will pay his debt. He's a free man to go. And we would say, oh, thank you. And our debt has been paid. And we walk out in the sunlight to our family and our friends and whatever he wants to do with the rest of our life, having been redeemed by the Lord. That'd be marvelous, would it not? But he did something different. He not only redeemed us, but he then said, now, from this day forward, I want you to come into my house to be my son, to eat at my table, and to receive all the inheritances, Romans 8 tells us, as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. All the privileges that come as being a son. I mean, you and I, we've got these kind of you know, people we're ministering to, you and I would sometimes let them come live in our house. At least I did. You would let people come live in our house and we would give them an opportunity to kind of stabilize their life. And, and you would always, you know, you would always try to minister to them as, as you would invite them into your family. But it's still my family here and you're over there. You can participate in our family activities, but I don't trust you like I do my son. You know, you don't have, if I die, we're not, you're not getting the house and all that kind of stuff. There was still a, um, a separation there between a stranger who we're ministering to, who we love, but never the way that we love our own children. And sometimes we would protect our children from the person, and if the person, you know, if the person was being negative to our family, he would have to leave. We would never do that with one of our kids, but he would have to leave. So here's the Lord with all my sins, all my failures, all my broken promises. He not only forgives me, but brings me into his house and declares that I'm adopted as a son by Jesus Christ to himself. It's not like Jesus is going, no, I don't want him there. I want to be number one. No, it's through Christ. Yes, Lord. Let's make this family bigger. Let's share everything that we have. Why did you do that, God? Something special in me? No. 
It's according to the good pleasure of my will, because I wanted to, because that's who I am, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he made us accepted in Christ, accepted in the beloved. I'm, I'm pretty much out of time here. Did you pray like this? If you did, praise God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you just skimmed over it and treated it like just something we have to do at church and, oh, my devotion time, let's see what, oh, I only got 10 minutes, you know, and let me go ahead and do that really quick. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, yeah, Lord. And we'd say, say some, no, there's doctrine in here. I picked out 32 separate doctrinal truths in chapter one. There's doctrine in here. There's truth that's in here that talks about who you are in him. Now, I'm going to go through the rest of these. And I just went all the way to verse 13. Which, by the way, let me just read to you. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace in which he made me, Steve, accepted in Christ. And all the benefits come from being in Christ. In him, in Christ. I'm just going to put my name here. You put yours. In Christ, I have redemption through his blood. I have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards me in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to me the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And what is that mystery? That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather in one all things in Christ, including me, both of which are in heaven and which are on earth, all in him. And in him also I have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that I, who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. In him I also trusted, after I heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, I was sealed. I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which means what? who is the guarantee of my inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So what do I do? How do I pray from that point on? Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love towards all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of him. Not that we'll be healed, not that our car will crank, not that our vacation will be restored, not that this, you know, our house will get paid off, not that things will work better for us on this earth. But I'll see God in all of this. I'll see what's going on. Verse 18, at the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that I may know, know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the saints, in you and I, what we already possess? And what is the exceeding, 
untold, indescribable greatness of his dudamas, his explosive power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty kratos, his mighty dominion, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, by the way, exactly where the Lord says, you seat, are seated, far above everything he has dominion over, or principality and power and might and dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he, the Father, put all things under his, the Son's feet, and gave him, the Son, to be head over all things to the church, to us, the ecclesia, the called out ones, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What problem do we face when this is who we are? What can you not do for Christ? What can he not do for you when you realize how truly loved you are? So let me just ask you this. How has your 21 days changed your view of him or your view of you? Or or what was that like? Would any, I'd only take just a couple minutes to do this. Would anybody like to share what it was like for you?